Hello, welcome to Raw Stories, the fortnightly podcast where I share new writing, whether it's ready or not. This week's story is All You Need. The Beatles had been in charge of Maxwell Pepper's life for as long as he could remember. He wasn't one of those screaming superfans you sometimes hear about. He hadn't even been alive in the 60s. His parents had, they'd been teenagers in fact, but they weren't exactly fans either. They were a serious pair, drawn together by their mutual distaste for music. Not just rock and roll, any type of music. So, Max had grown up in a house with no record player, no television in case someone accidentally switched on top of the pops, not even a radio. His childhood had been filled with the sound of silence. And not the Simon and Garfunkel version. Max had never even heard a Beatles song. You may find that hard to believe, but Max didn't use lifts, he preferred to take the stairs, and he lived in a small village so he hardly ever encountered buskers. He was seldom invited to weddings or other places which might involve dancing because he was, to put it bluntly, a little bit odd. It wasn't his fault. The blame lay entirely with four men he'd never met. Despite their absence from it, the Beatles had taken complete control of Max Pepper's life. It took a while for anyone to notice. Max had been a challenging child, certainly, but as far as his parents were concerned, their son was no worse than any other. The swing set they brought for his fourth birthday had to be exchanged for a giant octopus, the only thing Max would have in the garden. And when Max started school, he argued with every one of his teachers about the number of days in the week. Eight, he insisted. There were definitely eight. Then his year four teacher tried to cast him as the Sultan in their end-of-year production of Aladdin, mainly because she thought it would be hilarious to have a Sultan Pepper in the show. Max, however, insisted he was the walrus. When his teacher explained that, to her knowledge, there were no walruses in any version of the Aladdin story, not even the Disney cartoon, and perhaps he'd like to be a camel, he just shrugged. In the art room that afternoon, while the rest of his class were decorating turbans and cutting palm trees from cardboard, Max sat in the corner and quietly made himself a pair of tasks. If school was difficult for young Max, life at home wasn't much better. Family holidays were a disaster. Max wasn't interested in any of the destinations his parents suggested. I'd quite like to go back to the USSR, he once ventured. But We've never been there, said his perplexed father. And anyway, it's called Russia now. Well, I'd still like to go back there, Max sighed, and went outside to tend to his strawberry bushes. He'd planted hundreds of them. Eventually, he let himself be taken on what his dad happened to describe as a magical mystery tour, and turned out to be a week at Putland's. Everything was fine until Max realised that he was expected to stay overnight. There were tears and hysterics, followed by a long, stonily silent drive home, and from then on, the Pepper family were strictly day-trippers only. Shortly after the Butlands trip, the Peppers had a long conversation and decided that perhaps there was something not quite right with their son after all. They went through 11 different child psychologists until they finally found one Max was happy with, a tall, thin man called Dr Robert. Dr Robert could offer no explanation for Max's behaviour, 
but agreed to treat him. So every Tuesday afternoon, Max would trudge up the eight flights of stairs to Dr Roberts' office. Wouldn't you rather take the lift? The receptionist asked. It's much quicker, but Max shook his head. No, thank you, he said politely. I prefer the long route. Eventually, Max left school and began thinking about a career. First, he wrote a novel, which didn't earn any money, mainly because he would only publish it in paperback, and then he decided to join the Navy. Things didn't start well. Max, it seemed, had an aversion to boats. I'd like to be under the sea, he told the recruitment officer. She explained that positions in the submarine squadron rarely became available, but she would put Max's name at the top of the list for when one did. When he eventually joined the 14th Deep Water Battalion, Max impressed his superiors by outlining an ambitious plan to remodel and renovate the entire submarine fleet. They were less impressed when he spent the allocated budget on 700 tins of waterproof yellow paint, and Maxwell's naval career ended shortly afterwards. Having enjoyed the discipline of Navy life, Max looked at the Army as an alternative, and here he had more success. As a junior cadet, he rose quickly through the ranks and broke all records when, just two years into his career, he received his fourth promotion. Congratulations, Sergeant Pepper, whispered the whiskered colonel who pinned the extra bar to his sleeve. It was the proudest moment of Max's life. His superiors couldn't understand why his swift ascent suddenly stopped. He explained to them several times that he really was quite happy to remain a sergeant for the rest of his life and had no desire to progress any further. He explained this to Dr Robert too, who added sudden lack of ambition to Max's case notes and continued to puzzle over his patient. He was reviewing his notes about Max's relationships when the penny finally dropped. Max had mentioned several girlfriends. There had been an Eleanor and a Judy, I called her Jude, Max had reminisced, and a Lucy, who flew planes and liked expensive jewellery. Then there was the first love of Max's life, a girl he'd known from school, called Michelle. They had dated for six months until Max, inexplicably, began speaking to her in French. Michelle kept telling him she couldn't understand and demanded he speak English. He tried to explain that he really was very sorry and it wasn't his fault, but of course he said this in French, so she didn't understand a word. Dr Robert called the Pepper family into his office. When they arrived, he asked Max to walk from one corner of the room to the other. Beaming as Max meandered his way around the furniture instead of taking the straight path, Dr Robert had cleared. Just as I thought, he said. It's why he always takes the stairs, too. Given a choice of routes, Max will always opt for the long and winding road. Rooted with blank faces, he explained his theory. It's hard to say who was more surprised, the Peppers, to find they were being asked to believe that Max's actions had been predetermined by the song lyrics of a group of musicians, or Dr Robert when he realised that the three people in front of him had no idea who the Beatles were. I suppose this does explain a few things, said Max, as he flicked through the pile of records Dr Robert had given him. But why me? 
Dr. Robert shook his head. I'm afraid I don't know, he said, but I do think I might have a cure. For the next few months, every Tuesday afternoon, Dr. Robert and Max steadily worked their way through the Beatles' back catalogue. It was a process called desensitisation, Dr. Robert explained, as Max sat in his office listening to album after album. At the end of each session, Max would leave the room, pause in front of the lift, then sigh and take the stairs. Finally, they reached the end of the last album. At home that evening, Max dug out his address book and phoned Michelle. He got as far as, Bonjour, Michelle, c'est moi, Maxwell, before she hung up on him. When Max recounted this experience to Dr. Robert on his next visit, the doctor shook his head sadly. I'm not sure what else to suggest, he said. I'm afraid you might have to learn to live with your condition. Just let it be. Now that, thought Max, was something he could do. So life went on just as it always had for Max Pepper. He remained a sergeant and kept seeing Dr. Robert and tended his strawberry fields. The only difference was that he brought himself a CD player and the full set of Beatles albums. He'd grown to like the music, and he felt more in control knowing what might happen. It helped. It also meant that he wasn't entirely surprised when, one day, he saw a girl and knew that somehow he had to get her into his life. I'm Max, he said. Penny, she replied, which confused him at first. Penny Lane, she added, with a nervous smile. And Max grinned. Of course you are. Penny rolled her eyes. Terrible, isn't it? My dad was a big fan. Max invited Penny out for a drink, and then for dinner, and he told her about his condition. It's not so bad, Max said, when she gave his arm a sympathetic squeeze. And I quite like the Beatles now. I might never have known about them otherwise. I've got my dad's collection at home, Penny said. If you'd ever like to... Oh, I would, said Max. I definitely would. They spent the evening listening to her father's Beatles records while Max told Penny about his life and she told him about hers. As their stories unfolded and their lives slowly began to intertwine, something deep inside Maxwell Pepper changed forever. It was gone midnight when he finally left Penny's flat and it was only when he reached the ground floor of the building that Max realised. He went straight back up again, and as he stepped out of the lift, he found Penny there waiting for him. You didn't use the stairs, she whispered. This just seemed quicker, Max said. He smiled at her, and she smiled back, and for the first time in his life, Max felt free as a bird. So, just like that, Max was cured. He stopped seeing Dr Robert and started seeing a lot more of Penny. They got married and had children and lived a long and happy life together, doing exactly what they wanted to do, regardless of whether or not the Beatles had ever written a song about it. And then, on the eve of what would have been his 64th birthday, Max quietly passed away in his sleep. His funeral was held a week later. Just before the service started, Penny noticed an elderly man sitting alone at the end of a pew. It was kind of you to come, she said. 
My husband spoke very fondly of you. Dr. Robert smiled. Maxwell was one of my more memorable cases, he said. Then the service began. The priest said a few words and they sang some hymns and then Penny rose to her feet. Quietly she spoke about her husband, what a good man he'd been and how much he'd be missed. As Max's coffin was carried out of the church, a brass band began to play and Dr Robert smiled as he recognised the tune. All you need is love, he hummed in time with the trumpets. Seeing Penny, who was watching the coffin with a sad, wistful smile, he realised that he would never know what had caused Max's curious condition, but he did now know what had cured it. The Beatles, it seemed, had been right all along. So that was All You Need, a very silly story. I had lots of fun writing this one started life when I was away on holiday in Italy. I was in a cafe and the Beatles were playing, well not the real Beatles, uh, some, um, uh, some Beatles music was playing and that somehow seemed like a really weird thing to be hearing in an Italian cafe and that got me thinking about just how ubiquitous the Beatles are, how we hear their music everywhere and that then got me thinking about what would happen if there was someone who somehow had never heard one of their songs. Of course, if there was someone like that, the most ridiculous or extreme thing which could possibly happen is for the Beatles to have taken control of their life. And once that idea hit me, I knew I had something I wanted to mess around with uh, and play with. And the whole thing then really just became an exercise in how many Beatles references I could get into one story and how I could weave them all together. For the record, I have counted and there are, I think there are 23 different Beatles songs referenced in the version of the story which ended up on the podcast. One of those is quite an oblique reference and that's because of changes I made during the editing There really is no reason now for the main character's first name to be Maxwell I tried for ages in early versions of the story to get something in there about Max being in woodworking classes and having an accident with the hammer or not being trusted with the hammer or something around Maxwell's silver hammer and it just didn't work. I think the problem was for it to work I really had to mention the fact that it was a silver hammer and that was hard to do without it seeming a bit forced. And then I realised that the song might not be quite mainstream enough anyway. And also in terms of, just in terms of pacing, I'd been dwelling on his childhood for quite a long time at that stage anyway. So the reference went, which of course means he could have been called anything. But if we ignore Maxwell Silverhammer, there are 22 other Beatles songs referenced in some way in the story so if you're feeling up to a challenge uh, and want to see if you can spot them all I would love to hear about it uh, let me know which ones you get in fact if anyone can find all 22 I might even see if I can send you out a prize how does that sound one of them I will say is fairly obscure 
And the other thing I'll say about that one is that its position in the timing of the story is deliberate and quite important. I think that was the biggest challenge writing this story, was working out the right level for those references. I wanted jokes which worked, but which also made sense in the context of the story, and wanted the references not to be too on the nose, but also not so obscure that you miss them completely. Ideally, they'd all work in such a way that if you spot them, they add something to the story, but you don't feel like you're missing out on anything or you don't lose any enjoyment if you happen to miss one or two of them. I don't know how well I've managed that. And again, I would love to know. With a band like the Beatles, there were plenty of songs to choose from, of course. Uh, and my dad, just like Penny's dad in the story, had a, I think he still has, a complete collection of Beatles albums. Um, they were a box set of vinyl records, which I used to play quite a lot growing up. So I had memories of all of those songs to fall back on and lots of titles at my disposal. I did at one point start googling track listings and looking for songs I'd missed but I pretty quickly realised there wasn't much point in doing that uh, because I figured if I didn't remember them straight away then chances are that someone reading the story or listening to the story uh, wouldn't get them anyway. Along with Maxwell's Silver Hammer there were plenty of other jokes and I have to say I'm using the term joke fairly loosely here, but plenty of other jokes which didn't make it in. I did have a quick look back at some of my early drafts just to find out what had been cut. Max's list of girlfriends was much longer originally. There was a Julia on it, and there was also a Rita who was going to be lovely Rita, meter maid. The problem I had with her was... I don't know if this is just me or if everyone thinks this. I had always assumed that the meter being referred to in that song was a parking meter. So in my head, she was going to work for the local council as a traffic warden and that would be the joke. And then I realised that that isn't the case. It's the electricity meter. And I didn't think that was common enough knowledge to put in story I didn't it didn't feel true or right to go with my original plan and keep it as a parking meter attendant so poor old Rita had to go there were a couple of songs that I weren't convinced were well known enough there was a line in there about Max being a baby and only wearing black which was a reference to the song Baby in Black, which I'm not even sure I can tell you the tune of, so it didn't really feel well-known enough. And there was a whole section um, about his time at school, and there was a reference to Nowhere Man. I had him spending his break times at school wandering aimlessly around the playground, and whenever anyone asked where he was going, he'd just sigh and say, Oh, Nowhere Man. Max just doesn't seem like the kind of person who would have put man at the end of a sentence, so it didn't ring true, and it had to go, it had to go. I think it's Faulkner who has the famous bit of writing advice about killing your darlings, and it's the hardest advice to follow, but it's always, always, in my experience at least. 
right advice to follow. And this was certainly one of those times. As well, of course, as cutting lots of things out, I still read this story back even now and and kick myself for the things I didn't put in. Uh, It occurred to me recently that Norwegian Wood is a fairly well-known song and would have been a very neat addition to the list of successful holidays which the Pepper family went on. Might still put it in. That's the joy of these being raw stories. They're not finished, so maybe I will put it in. Or maybe I'll add a few other things. Do get in touch if you'd like to. I'd love to hear from you. Let me know what you thought of the story. Let me know which of the songs you recognised or if there are any really obvious songs which I've left out. Email is rawstoriespodcast at gmail.com or I'm on Twitter at rawstoriespod. That's it for this week. Thanks for listening and I will see you again in a fortnight for another raw story.